and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Ellie Mae Taylor, and we're back to preview this weekend's Las Vegas Grand Prix. Joining me as ever are the showgirls to my feathered headdress, Jesse Billington and Timo Abbas Daly. How are you both? Not too bad. Um, looking for I'm in a weird way looking forward to this one. I'll get onto like my reasons and theory behind it, but I think I'm I'm just gonna try and get in the Vegas spirit of things. I'm going to be upbeat i'm happy i've had a good week so far i've just had a second roll of film back from the developers and all looks good there work has finally started to sort of wind down for the winter season so stress levels are gone i'm in the right headspace to enjoy the vegas grand prix and the chaos that it will surely bring timo how are you i'm excellent and like you're not really sure what to expect with this weekend in much the same way that i don't think anyone really does and my bar is just going to be extremely low and just go in with an open mind and just see what happens because it could just be absolute chaos it could be incredibly boring because they put up such high hype for it now or it could genuinely be the best thing we've ever seen although i will be very surprised if that happens but it's, we really don't know, but I'm going with an open mind. I'll be very disappointed if these three things don't happen this weekend, because if we're going to race in Vegas, we may as well go all out, right? Mm-hmm. So firstly, I would like an Elvis impersonator to sing the US national anthem. Wrong. We've got Is that not just Daniel Ricciardo? I mean, I welcome that. Fairly said it's Donny Osmond. Is it Donny Osmond? I think it's Donny Osmond. He he comes into my plan later on. So, Why do you have plans concerning Donny Osmond? That's the scary part. I don't part. want to ask those kind of questions. We'll get on to it later. Anyway. That's the R-rated version that you can get on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Um, following the National Anthem, I would like Shania Twain. I think she still has residence, res, residency in Las Vegas. I know she used to. But I anyway, think she still does. I think so. I mean, she puts takes a horse onto stage, so she'll fit really well in with Danny Rick. But anyway, I think we should have an amalgamation of her greatest hits, but the lyrics have changed. So Man, I Feel Like a Woman starts off with Let's Go Drivers, followed by, <laughs> don't impress me much, but she just goes up to Christian Horner and she's like, so you've got an RB19. That don't impress me much. The second thing is, you know when you've won the lottery and you get those huge checks? Mm. That I happens think, often to me, yes. I think the winner of the Grand Prix should get a huge ticket presented to them with unlimited access to any Las Vegas performance for life. You know, I'm not against the third idea. I think that would be kind of handy. I think that's a good good motivation to win the Vegas GP is because you really, really, really want to see Shania Twain when she returns to Vegas in 2024 for a third residency. She's not there currently, annoyingly. So it'd have to be like a special performance, like a, a one-night only in Vegas. Shania Twain publicly embarrasses Christian Horner. I Well, I think we should do that. And the third thing is, I've I've joined her in this. Um, I think uh, that those that are currently have re- residency in Las Vegas, I think they should actually be the ones to give the trophies when the drivers get a podium. So people like Donny Osmond, Kylie Minogue, I'm pretty sure she has a re- residency at the minute in the US. She does. 
um why such a mad train but maybe you too because they're in the sphere aren't they yeah I think it'd be but how, how amazing would it be i think there should be like a row of well, no okay so we obviously we can't have grid girls but we can have grid elvises so that's that's the first change that obviously needs to be in place with Vegas. And equally, like usually there's just like some person holding the trophy for like the official to come and get. get. That should also be an Elvis. Um, then obviously whoever's in residency can then hand out the trophies. I hate to say this, but I think you've had some good ideas. I think I have. It, it's Vegas. Anything anything is likely to happen, I think, is, is the take home from this. Anyway, I would say that we're going back to some normality now into moving into what the hell has happened but we won't just be covering the las vegas strip this podcast in fact we're starting off this segment with some uncovering as valkyrie bottas has stripped off his clothes to bear his bottas as he has just released a 2024 calendar which including the cover i think you get 13 bare cheek bottas photos for 18 pound which i thought was reasonably priced unsure what it is in other currencies but $5 from each calendar cell will be given to prostate cancer research and other Movember supported charities. And I think the moustache is included too when his face features. I could go for a bot-ass calendar. I think £18 not too bad. It's not an extortionate amount, especially when you factor in that five of that does go to charity. So, I mean, yeah. I also think it's the perfect present to buy someone who first to buy for someone you know who isn't particularly well-versed in Formula One knowledge and doesn't know who Valkyrie Bottas is. Yeah, to them, it's just a Finnish man in the middle of um, <laughs> mm. Colorado, wasn't it, with his junk out? Like, Open this in front of your family. Who is this man? I don't know, I swear. <laughs> Why is your friend giving this to you? I don't know. I'm so confused. This is Christmas morning. It's all very weird. It's a perfect joke gift because also it comes with that added charitable edge so you don't feel too bad about subjecting people who've never seen Formula 1 in their life to the image of Bottas's pure white ass. If you look on the website, all the pictures are blurred out. You can see... Surprise! Yeah, you can see January, February and March, I think, on his own Instagram account. But he's, I don't think... For many reasons, you're not you're not allowed to put them on the website. Because yeah, Mace looked hard and long for <laughs> to try and see if there is a way to find out. Yeah, because can you imagine the sheer surprise when you turn over to May and it's just a frontal shot of his junk, and you're like, "Oh wow, that's uh, <laughs> wasn't expecting that one." Possible. Or the team ups with other drivers he's done for later in the year that you're not expecting. That poses the dangerous question of which other drivers do you think would do a nude photo shoot for a charity calendar? Definitely Ricardo after yeah, that. Yeah, it's tricky. Say <laughs> yeah, science. I, th- I reckon we could see science doing it. He, he goes in for that sort of a first trap style shot. So there's he'd, be, definitely... he'd be full frontal, but with some strategically placed garden ornaments. Yeah. Kevin. A Kevin. Yeah, Kevin and Hulk, I think, would do it. Yeah, I reckon you could trick Charles into doing it. Like He's how probably sitting at a piano, bare-ass naked, but you can't see anything. Charles would be very tasteful. I think that's, that's the With thing. a rose in his mouth. It'd be quite artistic. Um, Alonso would do it. Oh. Alonso would do it just for the giggles. I think George would be in for one as well. He does like to be topless, so just turn him around. It, there's not a lot left to take away, is there, really? You're, you're, there's not much left to the imagination as begins with George. Um, pretty much said at least half the grid will do it, which means you've got a calendar there, pretty which much. Which means there's technically one photo of them where they're all arm in arm, but they each other. So you can make sure they all get in the photo. Just guess the driver by the rear. 
Piastri. Yeah, they're all they're all standing side by side, but you don't know who's who, and that's part of the mystery. Piastri, I reckon, is a wild card, but he'd definitely do one. Yeah, I feel like Lando might be a bit too awkward, but at the same time, once you've got him to do it, he'd enjoy it. No, I don't think Lando would ever do it. He'd sit on the sidelines chuckling and he'd hold Oscar's jumper while Oscar sort of takes his tap. I'm glad you said jumper there. You started off with a J and I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Yeah, um, my brain was hovering between junk and kit and I went for jumper in the end. I thought that'd be the more sanguine one. Um, Albon, I don't think would. I strangely reckon Logan Sargent would though because Florida man, they do weird stuff. Be draped in an American flag. Yeah, again, tasteful. I think Gasly. I'll be forgotten. Gasly, he definitely would. Yeah, French and weird. Of course, he's going to do it. Ocon, I don't think so, but Gasly, yes. Does Ocon have a rear to do it? He's pretty trim. That's up to you to judge, anyway. He is a flat-assed gentleman. He is. (laughs) Perhaps that's why Elena Berry left him. She just couldn't stand the sight of a man with no ass. We'll never know. Unless we have on the podcast as a guest. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Alex Albon's 24 hours of Daytona proposal has fallen through. This is something that had been sort of floated around in the automotive racing sphere for a while. But um, he was aiming to run in the endurance race with Andretti at Wayne Taylor Racing. Williams were also on board with the idea, but it seems that logistics and timings just aren't playing ball along with a series of other undisclosed issues. So it's a bit of a shame, but I know that there was a long period of time where everyone was like, oh, who's it going to be that's doing a 24 hours of Daytona? toner who is it that sort of could be lining themselves up to try and do the triple crown if they sort of get themselves under the table with wet stuff and then do a bit of indie car um turns out it was alex and unfortunately it's fallen through but um do you reckon we'll see him make another bid to do some endurance racing maybe not not whilst, anytime soon yeah not whilst the calendar is so chocker yeah it's i think that's a bit difficult to if he wants to do it properly I think it would be hard to sort of try and get that practice in to then be quite successful at it it's not I don't think it's just a case of turning up to your first test mm. and, and then just sort of first practice and then, yeah although um Tom Christensen basically did that didn't he and won Le Mans so on this first go so it's doable certainly is doable. Speaking of endurance racing, uh, WEC LMP2 driver Dorian Pinn is reportedly in talks for a Freca seat and an F1 Academy seat for next year. Uh, Formula 1 Academy are reportedly very interested in having her join the category. It is worth remembering at this point, though, that talks do not equal contracts. The 19-year-old French driver has close ties with Crema, who run in the F1 Academy series, and took Marta Garcia to the inaugural title this year. They also have a team in Freca, and uh, bear in mind that also Pinn is a very talented driver but hugely underrated and very rarely mentioned on the scene she came fifth in the 2021 Le Mans Cup with Iron Lynx and won the Ferrari Challenge Europe Series last year taking nine wins across the 14 rounds as well as coming ninth in this year's World Endurance Championship in only her first year in the LMP2 class last year she won the 24 hours of Spa with Iron Dames she is a blisteringly fast driver and hugely competitive with real skill behind the wheel should she come into Formula 1 Academy or indeed Freca It'll be her first time in open wheel single seater since karting. But with that track record behind her, I reckon there's a very real shout we'll see her in one of those series this year, if not possibly both. And uh, some interesting impacts in the world of getting sort of women into sort of major league single seaters moving forwards. Her her results speak for themselves. She's got talent and she's quick. And if she can get a seat in either Freck or F1 Academy, I think 
For me, the most interesting thing would be to see if she can transfer those skills into single-seater racing and also see what she prefers herself to. Because I know when we interviewed Abby Eating at Donington this year, she said she actually preferred closed cockpit racing as you can push a lot harder than single-seater racing. So I think that would be quite interesting as well to see her preferences. Mm. She has had um, Daniel Kfiat as well as sort of one of her mentors through this season. I know he's been attached to the Prima Racing Programme in WEC. So it's not like she's coming into this with sort of bad guidance and bad judgment. Daniel Kfiat on a good day was a very fast F1 driver worth remembering and equally brings with him a lot of knowledge and experience of how to get by in the world of F1. Um, he certainly didn't have a fun time of things. So he knows the rougher side of things and can could be a good advisor as well and a good contact and from their sort of social feeds they at least seem to get on well so it's practical on that side essentially going to echo what you're going to say there early maybe with the background that she has it's going to be interesting to see if she can transfer her speed and ability in endurance racing over to single seaters especially after so so long time kind of in this form of racing now as opposed to a single seater and that's why the other news is also quite interesting in that perspective from another racing series jumping across in that Leah Block is signing with Williams to drive an F1 Academy in 2024 with ART. Because obviously she's got a rally background and is more off-road and all these kind of things. Growing in Nitrocross this year, she's done a number of rallies all over the place. And it's an interesting choice. It's not one I saw coming. I'm going to be very kind of fascinated to see how she does and if Doreen gets in as well how she does but it does also beg the question of there are surely other young women who have purely focused on single seaters throughout their career so far and are they missing out next year in place of these drivers because they're more well known and is that F1 and F1 Academy just trying to get more well-known figures into the sport so that they can boost the image of it and then maybe in 2025 it goes back to some lesser known lanes because there's going to be more attention on it because it's just what I'm intrigued to see what Leah Block can do. I, you've got to think that these drivers are coming in with at least the plan to get into F3 or F2, because obviously F1 is the ultimate thing, but not everyone's going to make that, and we have that already with the F2 and F3 drivers. So it's just, I'm not saying that those who wouldn't necessarily make it to F1 anyway shouldn't be in this, but it's just an interesting left field choice, and it's just a curious thought experiment there, I think. And who else could be there that maybe would be better suited to single seaters when Leah and Dorian haven't really got that much experience there? I mean, we've already seen it this year with a couple of drivers having more experience elsewhere come in and, and race there and do okay. But it's just it's just interesting. Mm, I think a lot of the drivers, certainly from this season, that came into F1 Academy had either done Formula Four or Freca or they'd perhaps do, or they'd done W Series prior to that. So they sort of came into it with experience in single seaters. But equally, it's F1 is regarded by a lot of people as like the pinnacle of motorsport. I think if an opportunity comes along where you can sort of take a good stab at getting onto that ladder. I think if you're any race, oh, for sure. Driver, I mean, I can see why it. they would have gone for it themselves. It's just again, it's when you see how hard fought the, the single seater categories are for normally when it's purely single seater background. When you start adding more drivers from other backgrounds into the mix, it then becomes that much more competitive. And it's just going to be interesting to see how that works into things next year. And then the following years after that, do we get more of a free for all from all racing backgrounds, or does it then stem back to just more focus on drivers that have? had that single seater experience like you were saying the majority of drivers had this year i think the 
the variety of backgrounds though is good because equally the one thing you want in motorsport is that variety you then test them out a good bit yeah and equally you want uh, the variety of people that a variety of racing backgrounds brings with it i think that's a crucial thing we talk about sort of expanding the diversity of the sport and if you were to say we're only selecting from single seater racing you sort of rule out things like people coming from brazilian touring car you can rule out people coming from mm. certain sort of racing sects where there isn't necessarily a grassroots open cockpit style of racing but sort of having that broader scope does at least give a bit more possibility i don't think it, it's hard to say early on whether or not it's going to achieve anything when it comes to that sort of diversity of people but ultimately if you're opening it up I'm, your I'm goals as far it's just wide, interesting it'll be interesting to see how it plays out but i think uh, if they're see, showing that they're throwing out the doors as far wide as possible at the end of the day with so few female racing drivers on the major scene gathering together some of the best and putting together a showcase to prove that yes this girl can and equally look at this fantastic talent i think that is ultimately going to be part of the end game of f1 academy is going see but then what you're moaning about there are very talented women out there you just have to sometimes look a bit laterally to find them and often they because they themselves are to look laterally to get a racing seat it's i think uh, the last thing i'll say on that is is just that i'm all I'm, again i'm all for this i'm going to find it very interesting to see because it's going to be again ideally find drivers with com all completely different backgrounds and see how they'll get on single seaters um, because that's just a fun experiment that you don't get to do all that often I think the only other thing for me is that obviously Dia and Dorian are very well known in the motorsport community already. And I think that's where it comes into it. Do, are they, they're both very talented. And I think that's where, why it's still okay at the moment. But you don't want to then stray into that territory of a well known female racing driver who is then getting that seat purely for the brand recognition rather than the talent that they might have. I don't think we're there yet with any of the drivers where they've been able to get that because of how sparse on the opportunities there have been so far. But you then just don't want it to turn into, oh, this driver is going to get in just because of the name or the fact that they're popular over the, the talent because we see that in F1 all the time in terms of drivers just buying their way in. And whilst it's not happening here, obviously, it's just you don't want to stray into that territory when you've got a new racing series. Hmm. I think, I guess, I'm almost sort of echoing what Jesse's said and I think what you've touched on a little bit as well Timo is that I think because it's been so hard for women to get into single-seater racing they've done other they've gone down different avenues so you are going to have more of a broader um you're mm. going to have to look more broader at other racing series to then and I guess allow them to give the give them the opportunity that they've never been given yeah yeah and that's something that's going to be worked out over time as they figure out what works and what doesn't we'll see how it progresses as things move on but speaking of junior series oliver gertha has joined the red bull junior team the 19 year old competed in formula three this year with trident and has finished eighth his 2024 plan is currently open with there being plenty of space in formula three and formula two still to grab do you reckon we'll see him stick around in f3 or is that move up a rank uh something that we can see on his plate it's very hard to predict at the moment, to be honest, because the F2 grid is a bit all over the place at the moment with the drivers that we've had confirmed. There's been a lot of jumps of people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to, to jump in there. So it's definitely still to grab. Whether or not it's a good idea is another matter entirely, but at least he's got an all right track record this year in Formula 3. So, And again, 
we've been proven completely wrong before with drivers jumping from F3 to F2, where we thought they'd be completely unprepared and they've turned out to be pretty damn good. So it's like Vegas this weekend, anything could happen. Mm, I think there's there's scope for something interesting there. What's the average age of a Formula 3 or Formula 2 driver? It's younger every year, it feels like. (laughs) Well, that's what I was thinking, because I believe he's, is he Red Bull's youngest junior driver? And he's 19. They must have a younger one in there. But then again, they've been chopping a few lately, so I would need to check. Formula 3, I think the youngest in there is about sort of 18. I think Christian Mansell, when he started this season, and Hugh Barter were both about 18. So they're born in 2005, which is a scary concept. But then equally, you've got to bear in mind that you've got the likes of Sophia Flush, Ido Cohen, um, I don't know who about. They're both 22, and you've got some that are about 19. So I'd say your average age is about the 19 mark once you start sort of factoring it all in. Um, and so yeah 19 is about your average age for f3 i don't know i think for f2 it's about 2021 so a little older still but yeah i think it's just kind of interesting because obviously we look back a few years ago and we had so many young drivers coming into f1 that it's almost now the it's almost in a way going to have to now be the opposite in that because now we've had so many young drivers and they're all very talented, they're probably going to remain in F1 for a long time, which means we're kind of seeing that maybe F2 and F3 are getting a bit older again. Yeah, we've got a longer time to wait for those F1 seats to become available because you've naturally got this young bloodstock sitting in it and they've got essentially looking at certainly at Alonso sort of proving that you can still do this right into your 40s and certainly the likes of Hamilton, Perez proving that you can do this well into your 30s. There's this uh, sort of idea that essentially you've got at least another 10 years of the likes of Norris, Russell, Leclerc and Albon still kicking around for a good while longer. I mean, Gasly's a year older than I am. I think so's Ocon's and they're still exactly fairly young by the measure of the rest of the field. Um, so there's yeah, essentially you've got a very long-lived F1 grid and really going to see an age build-up in F2 and F3 or simply these drivers sort of having to look at other options. But yeah, um, an FIA, a Formula 3 guide to Barcelona in 2021 uh, pegged the average age at 18.6 on the grid. So uh, relatively young. I think there's still time for them to sort of stand a chance, but even if you're allowed for like another six years of racing for some of the most median age drivers on the F1 grid that put them somewhere in the region of what, 24 by the time they join F1. In other news though, Andretti's F1 bid has been somewhat bolstered further by Cadillac's engine commitment as GM will be building a Cadillac badge engine after registering as a power unit manufacturer for 2028. It's been a little while since we've had some more concrete Andretti news rather than just the whole thing, why is this taking so long? And uh, this is, quite good news and it's going to kind of make Alpine have to get along with making better engines because well they need to for themselves if nothing else but it's good news for Andretti just makes you think what else do they and the whole of that kind of team have to do to convince F1 to just give them the final approval to come into the Formula 1 Were Andretti planning on joining in 2025 or have I just made that 
They, would they be- say they want to be in 25, but I think realistically it'll be 26. I think they want to do 25 just to get um, everything bedded in, so get, go through the motions essentially, not expect to be doing very much, but and then make full use of the 26 regulations. I think it's interesting then that Cadillac want to perhaps be joining in 2028, because then will there be a contract between Andretti and Cadillac from 2028? What happens in those years that they aren't there? I think that seems quite risky. Well, I think that's where the Alpine question comes in there, is maybe have a free contract as such for 28, and they can opt to use it or opt to not, and then it's up to Alpine to make a better engine if they want to keep Andretti as customers. Uh, for after 2028 and then you've got a two-year thing to decide if this is what you want if it's working and if not then you can go for a relatively soft reboot with Cadillac in 28 and in theory Cadillac then could potentially supply other teams and maybe would do Haas if they've still not got any better by then. It will be I think the the Alpine argument stems more on the grounds of either make better engines and we could be your customer equally if Cadillac come in and out of the box start making better engines than Alpine, then there's major question. I say Alpine, it's Renault that make the engines over at their Vimy plant, but the it's not necessarily a case of someone pressuring Renault to make better engines because they want them, but more a case of Renault all of a sudden not making the best engine on the grid and being usurped by the new boy. So there's there's a lot of questions still to be asked of it and the staggering of Cadillac arriving, who will supply them with an engine for 25, 26, 27 before they arrive in 28 is open to sort of be understood at a later point in time. But uh, yeah, it's unlikely they'll go for the Ford power unit that will be found in the back of the Red Bulls because of course GM Ford, not bedfellows in the slightest. In other news, Haas have had their bid to change the United States Grand Prix result dismissed. The FIA ultimately rejected Haas's request as evidence submitted was already available to the stewards at the time of the race and uh, the evidence therefore just wasn't new. It was also noted that stewards weren't able to accurately or consistently penalise drivers at turn six around Kota due to the poor positioning of the CCTV camera that managed the apex there as it simply did not cover the apex of the corner. So this was a bit of a flub on the part of Kota for not setting things up properly. Um, The FIA did add that further solutions to track limits and the monitoring of them should be found before the start of 2024 in conjunction with the circuits where it's very much relevant so we're talking like Kota we're talking um, Austria as well so there's a lot of circuits where staying within the white lines have become more and more prevalent as the years roll past Uh, so despite Hass's protestations the evidence wasn't clear enough and all was already evidence that the FIA and the stewards had seen so net result no change to those results and equally it does beg the question while this was done as fast as possible across a triple header time span should there be a cap on how far back you can go on changing race results see the 2008 season you mean 2008 season is in massa trying to change the championship yes yeah due to a couple of uh instances where he feels that other drivers might or might have been penalized or viewed differently i think maybe teams should have the right to review the last race they've run at but after that i think it sets a messy precedent which the fia are ultimately not going to want to deal with because how far are you going to let people go you know just said 2008 but if we start looking into that is damon hill going to turn around and ask for the 1994 championship to be reviewed i don't think he would but i think it becomes the sort of point is it becomes messy and without 
I guess, sounding like an inspirational post, has just need to stop thinking about the past and stop focusing on the future. I might actually start sending them has some inspirational quotes about looking towards the future. Send them like a really nice graphic that says the windscreen is bigger than the rearview mirror for a reason. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting. Yeah, it opens up a messy thing though, like you said, you know, because where do you draw the line then? How far back do you go? And if that is something that is then doable, what is the point in going racing if someone's just going to say in a week, two weeks, ten years time? Oh, I didn't quite like that because life's not fair, and I've decided that I'm not going to be happy about that now. Just deal with it. I mean, again, you could have 2021 looked at for all kinds of reasons, and just that could go ping ponging back and forth. And again, even then, if you ruled it a different way. What's to stop a counter thing then? And how many ways does that go? And it just becomes a bit silly. And we don't need any more of that when it comes to FIA and rulings and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I'll let you say it to me. One race after maybe. But if there's, but again, if you're going to present something to FIA, at least have new evidence. Don't just show them what they've already seen as well. Just be smarter about it. And yeah, get on with it. A very has thing to go to the stewards and show the stewards what they already know thinking you've sort of got new evidence going look what i found no we've seen that already mate it's, it's nothing new it's such a has move um anyway uh, moving on from has to mclaren who are reportedly in talks to extend lando norris's contract currently he signed with the woking team until 2025 but they are eager to sign an extension with norris do we think he'll go for it at the moment I don't see why not. I mean, McLaren potentially have a championship winning car for next year, so you'd want to be sticking around for that. Yeah, I think certainly with the form that we've seen from McLaren over the past season and sort of in glimmers in seasons prior, they've finally found a form and are working well. And it's, um, yeah, I don't think if you're Norris, you'd back away from it, even if Audi come through with a very tempting proposition to go and join what was Sauber. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with that one. But I think possibly he'll stick around with McLaren if he thinks Sauber is a place worth going to. He might at least give Sauber a season or two under Audi's leadership to uh, sort of get themselves under the table and sorted. Because remember, that's still something that's happening, reportedly. Um, we've seen some cut, some uh, graphics released recently with Audi liveries on 2024 spec cars. So uh, very interesting stuff there. Um, speaking of different spec cars, Alpha Tauri's new pace is likely down to just using Red Bull parts. Since the Singapore Grand Prix, they've been using RB19 rear suspension elements, and uh, these parts are well understood when it comes to their kinematics and mechanics, so you might well have unlocked this additional pace. For Abu Dhabi, they're bringing a new floor, which sounds daft, but bear in mind that this will play into their 2024 car, and that there is young driver tests immediately post-season, they can gain even more data from it. We've heard for a while about the two teams sharing a lot more. Do we think this is going to be the start of things to come? I think as long as they can get away with it, I think they'll keep on doing it if they're allowed and they can, yeah, get get around whatever it says in the regulations, then I guess why not? If it's making your car better and you have the, the tools available for you to use i don't see why not it's essentially being a less impressive version of um racing point when they had a very close copy of another car 
and it's, but it's they're kind of allowed to use the tools this time to make it up there. It's not just we were inspired by this this other team. We're kind of actually working as close as resume rules as we can. And let's face it, any of the other teams, if they could do it, they probably would, and they already kind of do because they all look at each other's stuff anyway to try and see what they can learn and adapt to their own cars. So whether or not they can keep it up is another thing because just because you have in theory everything you need at your disposal doesn't then mean that you'll be able to translate that to performance and results on track but it's looking good so far yeah. and again this could all go to itself when 2026 comes around because everyone could get bugged by the new regulations yeah it depends how long that can last with new regulations on the horizon but we'll wait and see what happens then more closely on the horizon though is of course the las vegas grand prix we've raced in vegas twice before 1981 and 1982 but we're coming back for something completely different gone is the caesar's palace car park layout which was about two and a half miles long and actually fits on the infield to this year's grand prix circuit but we don't really know how much of the racing is going to be interesting and so on and so forth. But the real question is, there's been a lot of interesting elements that have led up to this. It's being very Vegasy. We've got a Chapelo Love in the paddock. We're going to have driver introductions back akin to how we saw in Miami. There's, of course, the giant sphere. Um, and I think every team bar Mercedes has a special livery for this race. Are there any liveries that have stood out to the two of you? Not even one. I, they all look terrible to me. It still look very Vegasy in terms of. I appreciate you've got to maybe do something because it's Vegas, but I'm quite glad none of them are the permanent liveries for the car, and they all just look a little bit hacky. I'm suspecting Ellie may may disagree with me. I like. I will always like a red and white Ferrari. I always welcome the white back. Um, but other than that, I don't think I'm particularly fussed about any of the other liveries. I thought... Alpine's looks exactly the same. It's just sort of textured a bit in places. Red Bull? Um, I mean, their livery's not all that different. It's sort of just got like like a little playing cards on it. But I said, it just looks like they got some stickers and just stuck them on the side. Yeah, but they um, did their livery reveal in a nightclub, didn't they? Yeah, they lowered it from the ceiling amidst yeah. ladies on spinning ropes and all sorts. It was quite the spectacle. Uh, I think that I have sat in a car that's done a Las Vegas Grand Prix before a lot of the drivers were even born. Um, no, not even were born. I've like I've sat in an F1 car that's done the last. Obviously, would have been Caesar's Palace Grand Prix, mm. or potentially. You're before. thinking back to that Arrows. Yes. What year was what was what was the Arrows? It was, it was it A5. Arrows A4. I can't remember if the Arrows A4. What year? The Arrows A4 yes, was eighty two. Yeah. Last event, the Caesar's Palace Grand Prix. Yeah, so it would have been driven by Morio Baldi, and he came 11th. So not actually that terrible. No. Oh, well, there we go. Now I have my little claim to fame. Yeah, what happened to the other arrows? I don't know if it was even entered. Uh, I don't think it was. I don't think it was, no. Uh, yeah, interestingly, he qualified 24th. So um, but bear in mind that quite a lot of cars didn't qualify some didn't start and a lot retired. Um, so 
that's something that's carried forward to this year's Grand Prix. That'll be very interesting indeed. Um, one of the things I do like, I will say my favourite livery, the Ferrari is pretty good to be fair. I do quite like that. I think the Williams looks pretty pants. It looks pretty gauche. So for me, yeah, the, the Ferrari is the only good looking livery out of the bunch. Um, but equally, the Curbstones have a special livery too. We're in Vegas, of course, it's known for its gambling. So the Curbstones have been painted with the suits from a deck of cards. And I don't, hate it if we've got to have this goofy ass race i'm really glad we're leaning into making it quite goofy and i i I just i think that if we're going to do one sort of stupid one like when you're doing a set of photographs at a formal event and then you go oh let's do a silly one for me vegas is going to be the silly one and i I think if we're going to do it and lean into it i'm all the more for it um but obviously there are some sort of more serious elements to lean into as well with Vegas. Of course, the chaos that is reportedly caused and all the construction and presence. Bear in mind that the roads, however, are still open. And on Thursday, the circuit opens to local traffic at 6am and stays open until 7pm. The daytime traffic is unimpeded and a similar situation is in place on Friday too. Measures have been taken to avoid prolonged road closure in the area through the roadworks as well. Equally, if America wasn't so horrendously car-centric in its transport solutions, this wouldn't be an issue. Probably why we don't hear complaints from the likes of Monaco, Singapore, Baku, Canada and Australia when they host street circuits because or either they're held in areas where they aren't in truly public areas like parks and also they just have other means of transport in case, instead of driving. And equally, Formula E gets away with a lot of street circuits as well. I think this is just the people of Las Vegas being a bit grumpy about it all. You live in a tourist destination. Surely when tourists come to it, you're probably used to that by now, right? Who hosts usually street circuits? Is it... Because I know that obviously with the Las Vegas Grand Prix, this is the first time that Liberty Media are having to promote the race. They've never done it with any other race. You have a company that's set up to sort of run it and organize it, but I think promotion of it or covering of funds is typically done by the same company. So like Silverstone will receive, um, well, Silverstone itself has the British Grand Prix company and that I believe like covers the cost of buying the Grand Prix, but equally some of that is, uh, or in previous years I believe has been funded by the government. A lot of governments do fund having a Grand Prix because it's seen as great for tourism. So it's sort of swings and la- swings and roundabouts but i think with las vegas it's been done slightly differently because it's not going to be a permanent circuit by any measure of the word and it's so new and equally trying to prove that it works for anyone forms like a long-standing company so i think f1 has taken a huge um sort of load onto its shoulders for this one to try and make it work they've also they've built a building haven't they i can't quite remember what it's Oh. they've built the pit building that's a, a permanent structure that's been built up uh, sort of just off of the strip that is the one permanent structure they've created for this everything else is temporary so all the stands in the sort of four courts of all the hotels are complete temporary and can be taken down and everything reset as it was prior but the pit building the garages the paddock the fan zone that is all a new and permanent structure obviously with the intention that they're going to be returning to vegas in years to come so it'll be interesting to see how that goes i love the fact that it's got like the big f1 logo on it the pit exit looks kind of suspect because it just sort of feeds you out onto the inside of turn one a bit like a badly designed zandvoort it's mm, um isn't the exit on the um not the exit the entrance into the pit lane as well on the racing line 
yeah a bit like Baku it sort of comes in a bit before you sort of sweep out it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it's achieved across the weekend but that's sort of still to come. I think crucially they'll be keeping an eye on the weather as well. We've had a lot of chatter about how cold things are going to be coming up to the Vegas Grand Prix. People have been mentioning previous cold races. Well, according to the meteorological reports, Thursday we'll see a low of 11 degrees Celsius overnight, which isn't too bad. And with a dew point of four degrees Celsius, we aren't likely to see much of that being an issue here. We're not going to see sort of standing water forming overnight. Friday has passing showers through the afternoon and into the evening, but any nighttime sessions are set to be free from falling rain. Saturday, which is technically race day in the US, but for us here in the UK will be 6 a.m. on Sunday, is seeing overnight lows of 10 degrees Celsius, but so not quite as cold as some early forecasts were predicting, which was four degrees Celsius, which is actually colder than the current record for uh, a low of five at the 1978 Canadian Grand Prix. Interestingly, Canada 78 was the final race of the season, held on the 8th of October, and was uh, home hero Gilles Villeneuve's maiden win, and the first Canadian Grand Prix held at the circuit. Interestingly, much like Vegas, both championships were already sewn up in favour of Andretti and Lotus, so this, the final round, was dead rubber in the 1978 title chase. There are some brilliant shots of the drivers on the podium in puffy winter jackets as well, so it's worth looking back for the brilliant 70s fashion and aesthetics. But uh, more recently, the last cold Old, cold race I think we had was the 2020 Eiffel Grand Prix where the Nürburgring GP circuit saw a race day temperature of just 10 degrees Celsius. On the subject of cold temperatures, Paul Monaghan, the chief engineer on Red Bull's Pitbull, said uh, the tyres are very much at the lower end of their operating range. So it's um, all very much to play for and I haven't really written anything for the, the next section which is usually which on-track battles we reckon you should look out for because Honestly, with this, I genuinely don't have a clue. My best gamble no, is... Well, that's all the cars versus the tyres and the track. That's the on-track battles. No the more with each other. That comes later. The they actually make it past turn one. The more sensible argument would be that any teams that have previously struggled with tyre degradation could well stand a decent chance here because they arguably put more load through their tyres than anyone else and therefore can at least keep some heat in them and uh, won't suffer too badly. So thinking Ferrari and Haas might stand a chance here. Teams that are famously gentle to their tyres, very much the Mercedes, somewhat the Red Bull and maybe even the Williams, might find themselves skating on thin ice. However, that Williams is quick in a straight line and it's like a 2.6 mile sort of straight from the far end of the strip right down past Bubba Grump Company. So we'll see how that all pans out. I've been trying to figure out the setups and how the cars will work in Las Vegas. Obviously, you've got little braking zones and the cold weather is going to mean cold brakes make it difficult to warm up the tyres but it is good kind of mechanically because nothing in theory is going to really heat up I think the engine's going to like the sort of cold weather and I also think the altitude's about 610 metres Sao Paulo is about 760 Austria 700 so it's it's not as high up but it's close but it's not close to sort of sea level either so the turbocharger is going to have to work harder than it was sort of if it was a race at sea level because obviously the air's thinner and um, as the altitude increases, um, the turbocharger has to work harder to get all the oxygen into the engine. And obviously the hotter 
the more the turbocharger has to work, the harder it's going to get. But with the cold weather, they should in theory mean that they don't have to worry about that. But I'm also wondering whether whether they'll be able to try and, I don't know, somehow have sort of smaller brake ducts and air intake and whatnot to actually keep keep in. So that will that also then mean because if they can try and make them smaller, will the car then become more aerodynamically efficient when you take into the account the altitude as well can they actually then put more downforce onto the car which means the car will be quicker but that might actually help with sort of the tires and the brakes bit i think we're going to see an evolution of the sort of setup that be run at um monza or mexico because we're going to go for that sort of big straight line speed and certainly with mexico where the altitude comes into it you're going to be sort of basically giving it a high wing angle um but of course we've got a bit of altitude we've got relatively cold air which again affects the density but not hugely i think there's going to be some sort of essentially monza version 2.0 setup that comes into this certainly when it comes to brake cooling we're going to see teams running very blocked off ducts so if you get a chance to watch any of the practice sessions because they are god awful hours both in the us and in the uk um have a look and see what sort of blanking off plates you can see obviously during pit stops or when the cars are up on the jacks in the garage and don't have wheels on you can usually spot the sort of two cowls that sit just inboard of the cake tins and often you can see how much of them are sort of blanked off some teams might go for the slightly more flexible idea of just using speed tape and sort of blocking off the holes gradually just with additional bits of tape to eventually find the right balancing point to for both heat retention and brake cooling and i think the same will possibly be utilized uh, when it comes to things like engine cowls where you've got the sort of ventilation down the flank of it we might see teams making sort of bodywork changes through the weekend to try and get the best level of cooling going through those engines just to deal with the potentially colder temperatures but obviously with altitude engines might be working harder might be burning hotter so it could balance out towards the end it's going to be uh, a lot of learning on the feet for teams and uh, figuring out setups so interesting come sunday or soon as essentially park Ferme closes on or, or, or conditions get brought in with qualifying uh, who's come out on top there i'm glad you agree with me because my i have limited knowledge about engineering so i was like i hope this is correct this is my theory anyway as a theory it makes it makes the right amount of sense i think there's going to be certainly an, an evolution of a setup we're familiar with when it comes to providing downsource and equally a similar evolution of a setup when it comes to cooling and somehow amalgamating the two to produce what teams are expecting to be a competitive setup if it turns out to be or not has yet to be proven regardless of what we think when it comes to setup we've obviously got our predictions to make and we'll start with pole position where it's two to one lando norris against max verstappen timo you're the outlier so why don't you start i don't think there's really an explanation though it's max verstappen it's is to lose as it has been all season so i might as well just stick with what it is there on that one um yeah, new track, but it won't matter. That's a fair answer. Ellie May, why have you gone to Lando? I don't think Red Bull have the fastest car anymore. Maybe, or especially maybe in qualifying. And I think McLaren might just have it with Lando Norris. I'm going down so with a I think also the challenging conditions. Max is great in slippery, greasy, wet conditions, but I think Lando 
isn't too far off him when it comes to that pace. He's used to karting in the UK in winter conditions, going to a slippery, unproven, unrubbered in surface of Vegas in winter could prove to be very much his forte and uh, might offer up a good chance for him to turn out some decent quality times. However, when it comes to... Well, the- strong ignore all of us now and just repeat a turkey situation with the changing conditions there and just get pole position at Vegas. It would be a very Vegas thing for him to do. Yeah, Turkey 2020, where he just sort of slaps it on pole and just goes, how about that then? Um, yeah, I think... And then does nothing. <laughs> does absolutely nothing with that in the race. Um, we'll see how it pans out. However, when it comes to the podium, we've all gone for something a little bit different. And we'll start again with Timo. Well, as per tradition for this year, got to go with the result of the last race. Although I kind of hope it isn't these three, because that would be a bit of a boring race, I think. Uh, Verstappen, Norris, Alonso. That's very true. Ellie, may you've gone for two thirds the same answer. Um, yes, I've gone for Verstappen win, Norris second, Leclerc third. Um, I've decided that basically, um there's just going to be carnage at the start. So it means that uh, Lando, who has got pole, and Max Verstappen, who is in uh, the top next to him, they'll get around the first corner fine. There'll be carnage behind them. Nobody's able to break because everything's cold. Everyone crashes into each other. Everybody's out, which means Charles Leclerc, who started in the pits because they had to... Because he boomed down the outlet. No, because they've had to give him new parts that are outside of the uh, allotted allocation, means that he misses all of this and comes out behind Verstappen and Norris and obviously by default has to be third because all the other teams are out. You it's feel- a dull race we're going to have, though, if we've got 49 laps, 49 and three-quarter laps of three cars going around. Yeah, one of them's I mean, a Ferrari. I know it so works out for your prediction later, but bloody hell. I mean, one of them's a Ferrari, so it's just a wager on how long it takes until the Ferrari breaks. And equally, I think there's a good element of thought that's gone into the idea of Ferrari and the penultimate race of the year having to go beyond their allocated pool of parts to try and at least get Charles to start a race at this point. So there's some logic to her madness. I'll give her that. Meanwhile, I've simply gone for Norris Sainz Albon. Um three drivers that have taken part in the golfing tournament that Netflix hosted that looked absolutely horrid um, and Golf. yeah of course it did it was very gimmicky they they included like a bit from Squid Games where you couldn't make your shot your opening drive if the scary girl robot thing was facing you from Squid Games it was all very strange um, thanks Brokish Trophy as well yeah, Science broke his trophy as well. I think he it sort of slipped out of his hands. Um, Probably Lando's fault. Quite possibly. Um, but yeah, Norris to win, Science second, Album third. I can somehow see him making it work of all things. Like the Williams will be able to go long on its tyres, even if it's not burning through them or producing any grip. He'll somehow sort of skate it around the circuit. And I reckon at some point this weekend, we will see a driver incredibly crossed up coming out of a corner, like full armfuls of oppo smearing tyres in some sort of Larry power slide and uh, that to me sounds like a very science thing to do so it's sort of very much his home territory there too 
When it comes to fastest laps, again, it's a very different pool. Timo's gone for, you've gone for your usual sights until it happens. So there's no point asking about that. Ellie made the rather obvious choice of Max Verstappen. Yeah, I looked at my podium and thought, well, if there's only three drivers out of those three, who's going to be uh, the fastest out of them? And I decided Verstappen. You've really gone all in on this sort of three drivers thing. You've not sort of spread your bets across it. You're... No. I've gone, in the spirit of Vegas, I've gone all in. Um, you... And also it's a very slim chance that either of you will now be beating me. So. Oh, I mathematically cannot. <laughs> I don't think Timo can either. So, I mean, you might as well have some fun with it. I don't blame you. I, meanwhile, have gone for Sonoda, fastest lap. Uh, again, it, it, it could happen. They're putting more and more Red Bull parts onto the Alpha Tauri as the week. One in 20 chance. It, there's one in 20 chance. And he has done it before. Exactly. He's on form. He's, we know he can do it. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Did you put Sonoda for Brazil? It's a good question. I feel like I might have done. Yeah. Uh, no, Brazil, I put Verstappen. No. And he didn't get it there. Um, so, where so are like we? I want to change my world prediction now based off what Ellie May's been doing and in the spirit of Vegas, kind of a reverse Uno to what she's doing. So all I might change finish. my world prediction to be pole is then... So this is the world prediction. It'll be, it'll be Piastri that gets pole. It'll be Perez, Piastri and signs on the podium. Perez gets the fastest lap and then 17 cars finish the Grand Prix. Perez, Piastri, Stroll. Not Stroll, Jesus. Uh, yeah, you said you were inverting your... No, no, good. Yeah, it's no, yeah but it's a sign, so it's the teammates. Yeah. Your Stroll in... is not Leclerc's teammate. Oh, you're inverting Ellie Mays. I thought you were inverting your own. No, no, no. <laughs> so you go Perez... Yeah, Lord, I'm not that silly. I want to get Piastri, points. Piastri... Sites as your podium, mm. and then your fastest lap you reckon is going to be Perez. Okay, and then seventeen cars finish as well as the wild prediction, <laughs> because that is kind of wild because it's Vegas and if they're all going to crash like we assume. So you're going for the negative of Ellie May, basically. Hmm. See what Plus, I just want to see the look on her face if that is right. Then, if all that she's got that close, it will annoy her a little bit. In in the mayhem, well, we've just caused a lot of mayhem. But also, imagine if one of us is correct. Like, imagine how mm-hmm. much money we could make. Yeah, but if we tried that next year, it won't work. I'm almost tempted to put a bet on my podium. <laughs> Hang on, hang on. But they oh. have to be the only three cars to finish, otherwise that's not as ambitious a bet. Plus you'll get better odds. Um, let me go yeah. find... Where is Skybet? It's on here somewhere. There it is. Uh, it comes see. up with, are you crazy? Let's, I wanna, let's see what the... what the, the um, Vegas GP. Here we go. Okay. Um, so for outright winner of Perez... Um, 22 to 1 um, I've gone for Norris as a winner which is 8 to 1 and Timo's got Verstappen as an, a 1 to 4 um, if you go for Piastri it's a 40 to 1 win uh, well I'm going to just say what Sergeant is because he's going to be in the bottom of that let's face it 
Uh, Sergeant shares odds with Danny Rick, Guan Yu Zhou, Kevin Magnuson, Lance Stroll, Nico Ulkenberg, Valtteri Bottas, and Yuki Snowder is a 500 to 1 win. Uh, Albon, 300 to 1 to win, which puts him on par with uh, just himself, actually. Both the Alpines share 200 to 1 odds. Alonso, 50 to 1. Piastri, as we mentioned, 40 to 1. Russell, 33 to 1. Perez, 22 to 1. Carlos Sainz, 20 to 1. Hamilton, 18 to 1. Leclerc, 16 to 1. Norris, 8 to 1. And Verstappen, 1 to 4. That's all we've really got time for on this, our preview to the Las Vegas Grand Prix. We hope you all enjoy it and don't mind getting up at 6am to watch the racing action on what will be Sunday in the UK or staying up till god-awful o'clock on Saturday night, possibly. Um, if to be you're fair, in America, if we're in the UK, it's not too bad because we do that for Japan and Australia already. This is true. It's not too horrid for us. We've, we've gotten somewhat lucky with it and we're not as screwed over as probably every other country. Yeah, we've, well, we've no, certainly got the sweetest the score. Of, the rest of, well, mainland Europe are fine. That's not too bad, yeah. 7 o'clock, isn't it, for them? Mm. That is a perfect point to end on. We'll see you after the Las Vegas Grand Prix with some reviews and maybe even handing out some points for our predictions. Who knows? Um, best of luck if you are putting a bet on it, and obviously bet responsibly. We don't really endorse that sort of thing. Um, and we'll see you for a review of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Thank you.